0: I'm Kyle Unruh, and this is another round of thoughts. I don't know about y'all, but the few weeks between Thanksgiving and the the other winter holidays that happen in December is never really a time for me to shine. <laughs> I, uh, I say that because I'm recording not on my usual schedule. I'm recording this on a Saturday morning. What I usually like to do is I like to record during the week and then have everything ready by the weekend so that I can run all my errands, but the period of time between Thanksgiving and, well, admittedly, Christmas for my family is the time whenever you have to go shopping and you have to fight the crowds. And I went to Target this week, and I had to go to three different Targets to try to find the one gift that I wanted. And so it's just one, one of those times where I realized, oh my gosh, I'm really bad at shopping. So I hope if you guys are out there braiding the crowds, trying to get gifts for you know the people that you love, do your best. <laughs> Amazon exists. In fact, I've kind of decided that the rest of my shopping this year is going to be on Amazon, but that's not necessarily why i want to tell you guys this week's episode is not about Amazon or shopping or holidays or anything like that. It's just if I seem scattered today, that's probably why. And also the fact that I had a pre-drink before I started this episode. So we're on number two, going strong kind of get me going from the holiday crowds and shopping. So that's what's going on. Today, the drink is actually a cocktail, which I am not keeping score, but I think this might be the first episode that I've actually made a cocktail and not done either chamomile tea or a White Claw. I guess I did a gin and tonic last week, so I guess that counts. But yeah, so this week I'm doing my twist on a screwdriver because it's Saturday morning and you can't have a lot of drinks and be an okay human that early in the morning. So you're limited to either mimosas or you're limited to screwdrivers or maybe tequila sunrise, but I didn't have any tequila. So we're just doing a screwdriver, which is just vodka and orange juice, but I did a, a splash of peach in there as well. It's a really refreshing drink and it's not too crazy to get started. So let's just run with it and see where it takes us. This week's episode, I want to dive into a topic that I admittedly am not an expert in. Maybe you could say that about every other episode so far, but this one is definitely for sure. We're going to talk about football. Never in my life have I ever played football competitively, not in high school, not in college. I'm not built for it. I did marching band. So I watched football and I supported football in halftime whenever everyone goes to get snacks and doesn't pay attention. So I've been on the football field, but not for the football reasons. And kind of my motivation for doing this episode is... You know, the regular season of football has ended, and it's likely that either throughout the regular season or over the upcoming holidays, you're going to be stuck watching, well, or enjoy being stuck watching a football game with family or friends at someone's house, at a bar or something, and it's a four-hour ordeal, so you might as well be informed on what's going on. And not so much learning the rules and going into that. I'm not going to talk about that today, but more so like before the football game and after the football game, there's so much commentary and there's so much, I guess, opinions and numbers. And I think this team is going to do this or it's been this many years since this has happened. These types of commentaries that happen before and after football games that it's easy to either tune it out. But also it's like some of this has got to be absolute crap. Right. I mean, we have these people that are sitting in suits on ESPN just talking at us for 45 minutes before a game about how the last time these two teams met, it was 1932. And the, the last blizzard had just happened. And, you know, the last time a hurricane came through is the last time that these teams both scored 28 points. And so that means that team A is going to beat team B. And we discuss that and discuss it for like an ungodly amount of time. And it just makes me roll my eyes. And so part of this is I wanted to do an episode where I look at all the different ways that we come up with predictive models to say, will this team win a football game and which ones can you actually trust and implement so that if you are stuck with your family or your friends watching a football game, you can know exactly what to talk about. And no, you know, maybe you got a leg up on deciding which team is going to win. Before we dive into the data, I do want to spend a little bit more time just to build appreciation for some of the things football commentators say. I found this really cool article from the Daily Beast, which I think is a, a decent news source. Maybe you guys have an opinion on it. That'd be cool to hear. And it's an article just sell the NFL's top five stupidest things football commentators say. And this gave me a really, really good chuckle. And it's certain things like, you know, defense wins games. Games are decided by turnovers. Chemistry is important. You have to do well on third downs. And these are all things that people have said over the air live on TV without any data to support it. And I think the one that pisses me off the most is one that I started hearing around the time that the college football playoff started, which I think was like 2014, 2015, maybe. I can't remember the first year of the the college football playoff, but... They were coming down. The the idea is we have all these teams that are doing really well, and we have to decide four teams that make it into this college football playoff. So they come up with all these different metrics, uh, strength of schedule. They look at the record, so win-loss record. But then – and I guess, okay, those are perhaps relevant. You you want a team that wins. You want a team that has a hard schedule and wins. I get that. But the one that I heard them talking about is particularly with justifying why – I think it was Oregon and Ohio State – that was the the final that year and i think oregon won they used this term the i test the i test eye test basically it was a fancy word for my goddamn opinion is what it really is. That's all that it is, is saying, I think this team looks better playing football than the other team. Therefore, this team is going to win. And there are these commentators that are getting paid maybe seven figures in salary to go out there and say, this is, I think this team looks better when they play football. My God. And we're trying to engage with this from our couches and try to, you know, use this commentary as information. I mean, in its purest sense, that's what commentary should be. We hire these people because they should be experts. Experts, right. And they're using things such as eye tests, which is just this is my trained eye on what I think good football looks like. And who knows if they're right or they're wrong? I mean, there's no real statistics going behind these claims. I mean, when you say chemistry is important or you say you have to do well on third downs, what do you mean by that? Have you looked at a data set to say These are the games that have won. And these are the teams that have won that did well on third downs. Is there correlation there? Then I might believe it. But what we get on TV is this dumbed down version of point estimates that don't really mean anything. And so we sit around and we just kind of watch the talking heads on TV, not really engaging with who we're sitting with, just like watching them talk about their opinions and their, quote, eye test for about 45 minutes before kickoff starts. And I just cannot stand it. Okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to keep railing on the commentators. F- just just a minute. So this is not a an attack on football. I love watching football. I watch it all with my dad whenever I go home for holidays. It's really fun. I don't mind watching football. It's just the quality of the commentary is just what's really poor. So that's really my takeaway. All the ranting aside, that's my takeaway. And I think a really interesting example of this commentary that maybe you can appreciate from a rolling of the eyes perspective is College Game Day, which is for NCAA football every week. They kind of pick a high profile game, whether it's like two ranked teams or maybe it's like a rivalry. And all the commentators travel to that game and, you know, hours before kickoff, sometimes even people camp out overnight for this. They'll wait to watch a three hour pregame show before kickoff happens and there's one commentator who's really famous his name is lee corso he's been doing this since 1996 he's been doing this and at the end of the three hour program they do their picks so they look at all the games that are happening that weekend and they kind of pick who's going to win it's like five of them so you can kind of say i think this team's going to win because of this i think this team's going to win because of this and lee corso always goes last and the reason lee corso always goes last is because whenever they get to the final game of picking. It's the hosting game for college game day that day. So it's the home team, and the away team. They have all the fans behind them yelling and screaming. Everyone has signs. And so Lee Corso, what he does is when he makes a pick, he takes the mascot helmet or the the head of the mascot that for the team that he picks and he puts it on and he looks at the crowd and he goes crazy. And it's supposed to be super fun thing. I will admit it. There's high energy and it's fun to watch. But I wanted to kind of look at how much we can actually trust Lee Corso? Is it all just kind of rah, rah, rah celebration and kind of smoke and mirrors? Or does he really have a trained eye on picking these teams for who's going to win these college football games? So I actually found some data from NCAA, and I think someone had this question before I did. So it was pretty easy to find. So there's an article from NCAA about Lee Corso's picks and how right he's been. So again, he's been doing this since 1996, so for about 23 seasons, and He's done a wide variety of performance over the years. His maximum in terms of aligning to what actually happened was in 1999 where he was 100% correct. So every college game day that he showed up to and he put on the mascot helmet, he was correct. That year you could trust him 100% and he was perfect, almost like a wizard picking these teams. But fast forward three years and his lowest – Performance since he's been doing this since 1996 was in 2002, where he only got 31% correct. So that year, you were better off flipping a coin, picking heads or tails, heads, the home team, tails, the away team. You would have done better, most likely, than trusting what Lee Corso said. And that's just three years after he was 100% correct. So he's got a wide variety here. And on average, over the 23 seasons, he's been 64% correct with a standard deviation of 15%. So you can kind of think of that as a pretty wide window. You know, if you center it at 64, plus 15, minus 15 each side, we're talking like he could, you know, conceivably for one season, if you're going to predict one season, I would say he might be between 80% correct and 49% correct. So maybe a coin flip, maybe a little bit better. He's gained some knowledge over the years, I think it's fair to say. You know, 64 is bigger than 50, but is that the best we can do? I'm not too sure. OK, so switching gears a little bit, there's another avenue we can go about to look at how football games are predicted. And that's going back to Vegas, not going back to the blackjack episodes that we did a couple weeks ago. But this one is more about sports betting in Vegas and how casinos offer, you know, you can put money down to you know, predict how a game is going to happen and the, the results of a game. And these are done by odds makers. And these odds makers are independent companies that create these odds and they sell these odds to the casinos. And these casinos then offer them to the bettors. That's how that works. So, in some ways, these odds makers don't really care about the bets that are being placed. They're making money if a casino takes their odds and lets people bet on them. And there's a wide variety here as well. My source for this is thespread.com, basically a sports betting site. And they have a really nice article that goes down all the different avenues that different odds makers houses can use to put these lines and other bets together. Some use complicated computer formulas which are proprietary and closed source, which is how these odds makers make money. They say, "Hey, we have a brand new way of creating, you know, odds for games. You know, we use this brand new cutting edge formula that's secret to our own our own odds house." Please buy this and you know, offer it in your casinos, you can make that much more money. That's one way that they market it, is these com- secret computer formulas. Some honestly just hire people that use gut feel, almost like a whole room full of Lee Corsos that are putting on mascot helmets and they're creating odds based on that. And those are legitimate odds makers that are selling these odds to casinos for you to bet on. That's not one that I would want to use, just having a proclivity towards data. But hey, they're out there. And then a third way that odds makers make these odds is through power ratings. And this one I think is really interesting and one that I think is easy to understand and, you know, might have a bit of truth to it. Basically, the power ratings give a score per team per location played, and the difference between the the two numbers is the line that's used for the betting. So I'll give you an example. So let's say the Dallas Cowboys are playing the Philadelphia Eagles, and they're playing in Philadelphia, all right? So we have a power rating for the Cowboys playing in Philadelphia. We have a power rating for the Eagles playing in Philadelphia, All right. The power rating from one odds house gives the Dallas Cowboys a score of 53 for that location and the Eagles have a score of 60 at that location. So the line is minus seven in Eagles favor. So you can see if you see a line of minus five, minus six, minus eight, minus two, plus two, plus four. That's just the difference in those power ratings based on the away versus home power rating, um, which I think is easy to understand. But even if this is easy to understand conceptually, how they come up with these power ratings is also a trade secret. So I really couldn't find a website that said, hey, here's this open source power rating method that's used by XYZ odds maker to compare this again. So, again, this is just these odds makers are trying to stay in business. So they have these trade secrets that they want to keep. And so we're not really going to figure out how they compute these in some way it's not any better than the commentators. Whenever you listen to the commentators on TV, you're trusting their expertise. In a similar way, whenever you look at odds and you place a bet through these odds makers, you're trusting their expertise. You just don't necessarily see it in the same transparent way because it's not on your TV screen. So it seems that we have a wide variety of, quote, tribal logic, which is inconclusive, and a lot of secrets, which is in some ways not cheating, but it doesn't feel transparent either. So my question is, how can we, the common people that are watching football over the holidays with our family and friends, figure out who's going to win football games? How can we figure out which stats are important? And how do we analyze this in a way that we can understand what's going to happen? So at this point, I wanted to take a stab at this myself. And my idea was to use the wealth of data we have for previous seasons. I mean, football's been around for decades. We have to have a lot of data about how teams have performed, how games have resulted. So let's use that data and let's create models that can predict the future. So the idea is I'm going to look at past seasons, all past seasons of data that I can find, pull in all football stats for that team for a season, compare with matchups for those seasons, and learn on those matchups to make a classifier, and then find what's important in that classification. So basically, learn from the past to predict the future. Actually, finding data for this was pretty easy. (laughs) All I did was type into Google, college football data past, and I came up with this website, which is api.collegefootballdata.com. And this is an open source public API that you can access to get team stats as far back as like 1987 which is perfect. So I'm using two of these data sets here. One is the team season stats data set. And one is the games. So the team season stats is the one that I use to figure out, you know, for a team back in 1995, how did they do over the season? Um, And the games is how I predict these matchups, right? So I say 1995 game, let's just say that Clemson is playing, I don't know, Ohio state in 1995, that may not be a good matchup, but just go with it. So what I do is for 1995, I pull Clemson 1995, and I pull Ohio State 1995. I looked at their averages for the team for that season. I compare those averages against that game, and then I know who won that game, and I know what the averages look like compared to each other. So I'm able to have like a comparison there, and I can learn from that for future games. So if two teams have similar stats to Ohio State and Clemson in 1995, I can know who won. That's the idea. Beyond just looking at these team averages compared against their opponents, I'm going to feed that into a data science model called a support vector machine. And this is I'm going to do a top shelf episode on how to build a support vector machine and kind of why it's useful. But for this purpose, just think of it as You have a bunch of data, you feed it into the support vector machine, and it spits out one of two answers. It's going to spit out either a plus one or a minus one, all right? And if it spits out a plus one, that means that the home team wins. If it spits out a minus one, that means that the away team wins. So really, think of it just as a a binary yes, no a choice, an up or a down, based on a bunch of data that gets fed in. Based on the results from this support vector machine, I'm going to be able to figure out which features are most important. And this is really where I wanted to get the most results from this because there are so many stats that one can measure for a football team. If you look at everything, you can't make heads or tails. You get paralyzed on what's most important, what's least important, and everything just looks like numbers. So I'm really motivated through this model to figure out What maybe just five, maybe just five features, five stats, five measurements from a football team for a matchup that will help me determine if I'm just looking at stuff before a game starts, who do I think is going to win? Okay, now let's get to the model. So I prepared all of this data going back from the 1980s, 1990s, all the way through 2018 to build this model because the 2019 season hasn't ended yet. So I built this model, I trained it, and I tested it, and my percent accuracy on this model is 78.2%, which is better than Lee Corso, might I say. So that means that I'm able to account for or identify 78% on average of data that comes in to this model, which is better than a coin flip, but granted, it's not convincing necessarily. It is good. Academically, if I was going to publish this in a paper, I'd like to see over 90%, to be honest, closer to 98% for it to be, to be really good. But again, I think some of this you know, 20% gap, because it's not perfect, is due to, I guess, the strength of the human spirit. <laughs> Sometimes an upset happens. And I guess that's kind of the definition of an upset in this context is anything that happens in that 22% that's not covered in that 78% it would be considered an upset. And those just kind of happen. But upsets aside, let's get back to the, the fact that I can accurately predict 78% or should be able to accurately predict 78% of games before they even happen with this model, which is the power of doing data science machine learning is you do have better than a coin flip on guessing this. You don't have to listen to those annoying talking heads on TV either. And from that, I wanted to figure out which of these features are most important. Going into this model, uh, the data that I found had 28 features, so 28 different ways you can look at a football team. This was from you know turnovers that they had in a game, pass attempts, fumbles lost, punt return touchdowns, believe it or not, which are super rare, passes intercepted, rushing attempts, total yards, etc. We had data for every team on these 28 different features and I wanted to narrow it down to five that matter the most. And these are the five that I found were the most important when looking at deciding which team is gonna win. And some of these you want to have high and some of these you want to have low. All of these are in terms of the home team, mind you, meaning that if I say that a feature is high, that means that the home team wants this high in order to win. If I say that this is low, then I it means the home team wants this low to win the game. And so it would be vice versa for the away team. So you can kind of flip your perspective. So all of these highs and lows are going to be from the home team perspective. So the number one most important thing you should look for when deciding who's going to win a football game, is the possession time. What this means is the team that holds the football the longest amount of time is most likely to win the game. And I admit that sounds really, really basic and really, really stupid, but it does make sense. A lot of these other features of the 28 features correlate to who's winning the game or who's holding the ball, right? And so just look at the team that has the most possession time or holds the ball the longest on average and that wins plain and simple but that's not going to account for everything so you're not going to do as well as 78% if you just look at that feature so we want to look at a few more the second one is the number of fourth downs so again this is a low feature the first feature possession time was a high feature in that you want to increase this for your chance to win the game Fourth downs, you want to decrease that. Fourth downs, meaning that, you know, fourth down attempts that you have last chance you have to get a first down to keep the ball. The team with the least number of those has a better chance of winning. The third most important is kick returns. So, and this is a low feature, meaning that every time you have to kick the ball, it's not good for you. That means that you're losing the ball, you're giving it to the opponent. And so you want that to be a low feature. Fourth most important is passing touchdowns. So the team with the most passing touchdowns, that's the fourth most important feature to win the game. And then the fifth is a high feature, again, total yards. So the team that carries the ball the furthest is most likely going to win the game. Just look at those five features across the two matchups, and you will have a pretty good shot at determining which team is going to win the game. Now, what I find interesting about this is through all the commentary that I've casually watched over the years... I've never really seen any of the commentators talk about possession time in their analysis. It's always about some other obscure metric for these two teams meeting. And maybe it's part of the TV experience, right? I mean, possession time isn't that sexy of a topic. (laughs) If anything, it's not good for a TV program because... If you just talk about these five features, you can be done in five minutes and they're trying to fill an hour long gap. So I can kind of see why they don't focus on this, but it just further makes me frustrated with the current state of football commentary, because now I just know that when they're not talking about these top five things that my model predicts, it seems like they're just kind of wasting your time. It's fine for background noise, but if they're not talking about any of these five things and... I don't think they're hitting the nail on the head or they're just beating around the bush. Okay, so we've identified the top five football team features that we should look for in a matchup. Now I want to apply that to something that might be interesting through the end of this calendar year, especially with the holidays coming up, and that's the football bowl games that have been announced. So what I did is I took the what is it, 39 or 40 bowl games that are going to be happening between you know, mid-December all the way through the first week of January, and I did a prediction on each of those of who I thought was going to win and the ones that I thought I was most confident in and least confident in in terms of their you know, probability of winning based solely on the output of the support vector machine model. So I'm only using this data, I'm only using the support vector machine model for this. If you go to the website, anotherroundofthoughts.com, you'll see a table that has all of my predictions in it, and you'll see the confidence. But I wanna go through the top five that I'm most confident about in terms of the outcome for this bowl game season. So the game that my model is the most confident in is actually the championship game, which I have predicted to be Clemson versus LSU, with the winner being Clemson. So I think Clemson is going to make it past their game against Ohio State, and they're going to beat LSU, and LSU is going to beat, uh, who did they play again? Oh, Oklahoma. Yeah. So LSU is going to beat Oklahoma. Clemson is going to beat Ohio State, and then Clemson is going to definitely beat LSU. So I don't think the uh, championship game is going to be that close, I guess is what I'm trying to say. The second game that I'm most confident about is actually the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, which is Ohio versus Nevada. And Ohio is going to win that one, according to my model. Third is the Bahamas Bowl, which is Buffalo versus Charlotte. Buffalo is going to win that one fourth most confident is the Arizona Bowl, which is Wyoming versus Georgia State, and Wyoming's going to win that one. And then the fifth bowl that I'm most confident in is the Sugar Bowl, which is Georgia versus Baylor, and Georgia's going to win that game. So those are the top five. I guess if you're sports betting, I bet on those that way maybe but again do what you want don't come <laughs> with pitchforks if you end up losing some money on that one <laughs> again this is only 78% correct so i might be wrong on a couple of these yeah maybe roughly one of those i might be wrong hopefully i get all five right but what i think is most interesting is actually at the other end of the ball games these are the ones that i'm now really excited to watch and these aren't teams that i follow at all but i'm going to be watching these games so the one that I am the least confident in, the one that I think is going to be the closest game, is the Armed Forces Bowl between Southern Mississippi and Tulane, with Southern Mississippi just barely beating Tulane. My model had a really tough time predicting that one. The, mass, the matchups and the averages with these two teams for 2019 has been... A lot of push and pull. That's going to be a really good game to watch. And if bowl games are about having a nail-biting, really entertaining game, please tune in to the Southern Mississippi two-lane game. I think it's going to be awesome. The other one that I think is going to be really interesting is the quick lane bowl between Pittsburgh and Eastern Michigan with Pittsburgh winning that one. So those two are, I'm going to be tuning in because my model is kind of a, it doesn't know. My model does not know how to pick those two games. Those teams are really evenly matched. I think it's going to be super interesting to watch. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. So I want to close you out with a few quick shots. Again, these quick shots are just quick takeaways, and the quick shots for today are the top five features. Just a reminder on the top five features so that if people ask, oh, I don't think this is important for football, you can say, no. These are what's most important for football. Possession time, fourth downs, kick returns, passing touchdowns, and total yards. All right, that's all I got for you guys. Uh, Finish your drinks. The next round's on me.